You're listening to the Saturday Morning D&D Show with Jordan, the PH is silent, and Sir Lucian. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of the, the I almost said the Rod of Seven Parts because Moa Peach just typed that parts. in chat and it threw me <laughs> off. Thank you so much. Uh, welcome to another episode of the Saturday Morning D&D Show. My name is Jordan with a silent PH in the middle, and I'm joined always by my wonderful co-host, uh, Lucian over there at, or Sir Lucian over at Sir Lucian Gaming. Good morning, sir. How are you? Good morning. Welcome to, I guess, holiday weekend, a weekend for some of you people that are getting prepped for holidays. Like Halloween? That's the one. Okay. Some people do lots of stuff. Like, I'm sure there's parties being planned right now, like adult and non-kid, but also... Maybe kid parties or, I don't know, maybe not. Uh, They call them, like, have you heard of Trunk or Treats? Yes, yeah. I did. During COVID, that was huge. Trunk or treat. Oh, it was huge during COVID. That's right. We we yeah. went to one, the the local mortuary, which is kind of funny. They had a bunch of hearses out, and they did a trunk or treat. And, <laughs> That's funny. Uh, we went to that. That was a, a, couple, a week ago or so with Oliver, and that was fun. Um, but... Uh, I don't know where I was going with that. Anyway, trunk or treat. Well, and I'm going to add on to that. Good job, mortuaries, because normally when we go to those, it's always sad and it's not a great thing. So to have something that's not a reason to go there that's happy and, and fun, that's perfect for them. I, I will say, not to bring everybody down, but uh, this past week I did have to go to one. My grandmother passed away. Oh, so sweet. And we went to a service at a mortuary. And I just was thinking, just as you said that, I was like, oh, no, that is – there's no fun memories there now, but if I got to go trunk or treat as a kid, maybe it wouldn't be a big deal. So yeah. maybe that's a good idea. <laughs> I don't know. I, I was wondering if it's, it's not really necessarily trying to change their image, but I think it was just oh. a fun thing to yeah. do. And then a lot of the community got on board, like the, uh, the local yeah. police were there handing out stickers and candy and mm-hmm. a bunch of, uh, a bunch of other sponsory things came in. And I think it was almost like you could rent a spot and be like it's also kind of yeah. advertising to the adults so <laughs> well super safe right contained area lots of adults there oh yeah yeah their kids like, it's typically a, it's a have to bring lot. them there yeah. so that's yeah the so the, the safety issue super huge there i now i'm a kid of the 80s which is the era of hey i'm going trick-or-treating back by midnight parents nowhere to be seen and we live in super suburbia of phoenix arizona and we are going from neighborhood to neighborhood as fast and as hard as we can to get as big a bag of candy as possible no supervision anywhere (laughs) yeah you know teenagers picking on kids bullies happening weirdos out there strange stuff going on anybody could be hit by a car at that point i mean it's like but kids are just out rampant getting cotton you know no i all kinds of candy wherever they could (laughs) i lived in the sticks and i it was very much the same like by the time i was 10 it was like all right bye you know okay yeah yeah my parents did not go with us trick-or-treating which i'm just Um, surprises me now because i would think why wouldn't you why you know mm -hmm. just it's just a weird thing our uh our uk friend uh says what is a trunk or treat (laughs) i was like well you probably know about halloween trick-or-treat um, yeah. A trunk or treat is when everybody brings cars to like a safe parking lot, and then there's should candy be, in the trunk of the car. So instead of going trunk. door to door, you're going to tr- uh, car trunk to car trunk yeah. and getting um, or the boot, as they call it in other places. So yeah, maybe that's where he was going. What's a trunk? A, a boot or like, treat? Oh, an elephant maybe. trunk. That's funny. <laughs> um, yeah. We're gonna talk less about 
trick or treating and <laughs> more about Dungeons Wait, and so, Dragons. But. Yeah, those in in chat. If do you live in a place that doesn't have Halloween? Because this kind of came up a little bit with our Australian dungeon master over our game this past week. Yeah, ourselves, and he was like, he loves absolutely the idea of Halloween and the whole thing around it. But apparently, that is not a big thing in Australia at all. No, so, or at least yeah. the place that he's at. <laughs> so I was like, oh, that's a shame because that's such a fun. Like the commercial, what it's turned into version of it of kids dressing in costumes and going out and being able to choose. Like sometimes they want to be scary. Sometimes they want to be a superhero. Sometimes they want to be their favorite character. And then they get candy and they, you know, with their friends. And it's a great social experience, I think. Uh, that version of it. Yeah. They don't get that. So that's that's yeah. a shame. Is anybody else out there not celebrating that? Is Are there other I think Danimal and I were talking countries? about it. and uh, And it's one of those things where... Sometimes, like, English-speaking countries, mm -hmm. I think we all kind of have similar holidays as opposed... But it, the exception being, you know, like, for the most part, they all celebrate Christmas. So then I think, oh, we probably all celebrate, uh, I don't know, like, Halloween or something. Yeah. Um, you know, and I know, like, Canada has a different date of Thanksgiving than America, but it's still a harvest time of year and we give thanks kind mm -hmm. of a thing. Um, but you're right. I guess Halloween's just not big over, over in uh, Australia, and yeah. I don't know. And I, there's also other probably places. a there's also probably that push of I don't want to be America. Like stop, sure. you know, like we could have our own <laughs> holidays or something. Yeah, but stop giving us your holidays. <laughs> I could see that. <laughs> when uh, when Danimal said that, I said, man, that push to get the Fourth of July over to Australia is probably going to be real hard now, huh? And he laughed. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, thank yeah. you, BK Dan, for the birthday wishes. Uh, I am. I'm older. I'm very excited to be older. It'll be fun. Moving on down the... the this tiny list this, that we have here? Well, no. Mm -hmm. I was moving on down the... Um, <laughs> uh, I don't know why I said moving on down, but uh, I've, I've completed more circles around the sun. That's what I was trying to say. <laughs> oh, there you go. And got to play some DCC for my Wait, birthday. what was the big that number again? I think it, it felt like it was a significant number, right? 40, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it's a it's a 10. It's yeah. a divided by 10 number. It's a divided That's by a 10 number. number, yeah. Feel it's a awful. difference that morning you woke up, like just overnight? 39 well, we always joke and... that I was 87 years old by the time I was 25. So <laughs> I already felt it. Uh, it's like, no, he's, he's already there. It's Benjamin like, yeah, Button. Got my special dietary things. Take a load of medication every morning. That's... yeah. That's Jordan. Here I so. See, they haven't felt it yet. That's okay. Not not to say, don't say the age, but is your wife older or younger than you? Oh, uh, we're the same. same. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. okay. So, all right. So she. Oh no, you just told her us her age. Oh, don't, don't do that. <laughs> <Dang> yeah. it. <laughs> Whatever. It's just Dang a number. It. Sorry. Well, tell her sorry for reaching that too. But she made it. You're up on the top of the hill. That's the top. You may be going down after that, but you're at yeah. least at the top. You know, that's the. That's um, the we do have a short list today for news. So Moa Peach just put in chat, um, or Mao Mao. I'm always probably saying your wrong my name wrong. But uh, how do you run one shots for Halloween? So maybe I'll put that down on the notes, and we can definitely talk about somebody that. in this chat does that. Has done that several times. Yeah, talked about it too on several shows. Although Dungeons and Dragons, uh, he's mostly done kids on bikes, but I I have done some D and D spooky spooky times. Usually I've done, one shot. I think one. I think no, I've done one, and it is fun. I ran um, the mist yeah. on 
Halloween. <laughs> the Mist? Yeah, my version of oh, they your were version in of it. Okay, I was like, Forgotten That's a Realms. <laughs> it's the basically the premise of the movie The Mist or Stephen King's story, which I also read The Mist. And it's that story, but I put it in Forgotten Realms with my players and I just had them roll up some like third level, fourth level characters and and uh and ran it but i'll let you we'll, we'll get into it because it was yeah yeah fun. no that sounds cool um i'm gonna add it here so we don't forget uh so D beyond we're we're gearing up for uh dragonlance and mm-hmm. i was reading up on dragonlance uh today and yesterday and i didn't know that it's called dragonlance because there was the war between the dragons, basically the war between the good dragons and the bad dragons. Um, it's called the War of the Lance, though, too. Right? It is Isn't that another term. They made yeah. a magic item called the Dragon Lance that uh... was the key magical item that allowed to to uh, defeat the the evil chromatic dragons and banish them from Kryn, and then the metallic dragons left as well um, to keep the balance. For whatever reason, because dragons are all about, or th- these dragons are all about balance and and good and the bad and the metallic and the chromatic. Uh, so it was like a physical thing, and so mm-hmm. that's why it kind of became the title of the of the campaign series. Uh, anyway, so we had a couple of things pop up. Uh, one was uh, the Lunar Dragon Sorcerer preview, mm-hmm. and I saw. Ooh, I clicked the wrong button. I saw a lot of uh, videos where people were just like power creep and they're acknowledging that the, the original sorcerer and the PHB was bad and whoa. Um, and you know, take it with a grain of salt. I, I, I'm starting to think that every one of these campaign settings should kind of be thought of separately from whatever other game you're playing. Um, because I never heard anyone cry out that the piety system was broken <laughs> from uh, yeah. the ancient Greece setting that we have, like for Theros. Yeah, you know, Ravnica's and that gave system. a lot of new spells to people, and it gave a lot of this and a lot of that. Um, and nobody mm-hmm. was like, "Oh, they're," you know. But now we are, uh, and I think it's because they're using the words uh, feats and stuff. So I wanted to kind of talk about that. But yeah, so you get fifteen additional spells compared to a regular sorcerer as you level. So a 20th level sorcerer PHB and a 20th level Dragonlance sorcerer, that one's going to have 15 more spell options to cast during whatever, which is crazy to think of. Um, mm-hmm. You get like uh, your your sacred flame cantrip actually divides into two and you can kind of use it like acid splash where if two creatures are next to each other, it'll hit both of them. Um, but it does more damage. Uh, and then there's a lot of metamagic stuff that's kind of, you can spend points to do extra stuff. I don't know. Uh, subtle spell. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I don't know if you got a chance to look at any of this. It's kind of cool. I think it looks like a fun class to play, like the Lunar Sorcerer. Um, I'm really curious about <clears throat> the phases of the moon unlock different things and <laughs> how uh, how you would track that. I want to see the rules for tracking the moon. Like, is it every, every like, long rest, you just tick it up or something? And then do we start getting players who are like, well, I'm going to take exactly five long rests so that I can yeah. get into the right phase for whatever combat we're going to do? Well, there are plenty of campaigns. And actually, it was I think it was quite popular in the past. Maybe I haven't seen it as much recently, but 
the calendar of the days and knowing what day of a year that you're in the calendar of the month so that you kind of knew the weather and like what was going on in the world around you was tracked quite a bit. I feel like in, in a lot of my earlier campaigns and even campaigns I run, I track it just because I need to know where were they that on this day of this calendar that's for this world that we're using or whatever. So I would imagine that then if you have a calendar, it tracks days, then you could track your lunar cycles, I would assume. Yeah. Who has the Dragonlance lunar cycle? Because they have more than, do they have one, more than one moon? Do they, they have three moons? You know, there yeah. you go. So what's the cycle here? And the, Somebody must have the figured that out. <laughs> magic comes from the moons. And so that's yeah. another interesting thing. So that's kind of why the lunar sorcerer makes sense, because depending on which phase of the moon is, is you know, if it, is it they have a white, red, and black moon. Uh, mm -hmm. you you know your magic shifts and changes just based on that which I thought was a really cool thing like if it I was creating fun. a world cool. I would love yeah. that where it's like oh no your magic comes from that giant red thing in the sky mm -hmm. and if it goes behind the sun you don't have magic for a day or something yeah you know and I was like oh or if like you're on the wrong side of the planet like I thought that was kind of a cool and I don't know if that's how it actually is in the books but in my mind but I like the idea like of like yeah. you know because how often in games do you have, like, oh, there's an eclipse happening, mm -hmm. and that eclipse causes, like, something major, like, to yeah. happen. Like, a gate Mass to hell hysteria. is opening up, or blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but yeah. for, like, here's the period of, like, a day where all magic ceases to work. Like, yeah. that would be so catastrophic. And you would build your entire society around that day so yeah. that your floating cities don't crash, you know? Think, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, even not too long ago, we just had that that really bright full moon. I think it was just a couple of weeks mm -hmm. ago or so. And I was out taking pictures with my, you know, trying to get my phone to take good pictures of it because it was so cool. I think you could even feel it. And I don't mean like in some weird way, but just like when it's that bright and it's that shedding that much moonlight, which is a different light, I think onto us at midnight or one o'clock in the morning and you're outside you just feel like something's different you feel like there's, <laughs> that's in our world let alone one that is truly actually magical or you know um having something to do with the phases and you know if the if the moon pulls our oceans and creates our tides and creates weather and affects those things why wouldn't it mess with the weave of magic and the and the strengths of people's pull from maybe their links to gods or whatever they might have if, yeah. when that does truly exist so i think it's a cool idea i didn't read this they also released the one on the knights of solmia mm -hmm. there's a video out on their channel about that one too so that they were talking about if you want to play you know that too so there's definitely been some good Dragonlance stuff out there I think it's interesting. I think it sounds very thematically cool. Yeah. I think it would be something as a player I would like to play. A min-maxer probably hates it because they hate when their stuff shifts and it's random or it's they're not as powerful on one thing when the other. They'll, you know, they, they always well, want and their power idea all the time. Of, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I think the min-maxer looks at that and says, yeah. well, now I have to always play this because yeah. like, if I ever play another sorcerer, I'll know that I'm not as powerful. Yeah. And um, not not, you know, I, bring, I guess I bring up Ted a lot, but it's because we talk a lot. We're doing a lot of games. And he's a minimaxer. But we did um, that level 20 Vecna one-shot, and I built mm -hmm. my PHB uh, Flame Sorcerer. And he mm -hmm. was like, so just so you know, like I, I tweaked like the original Sorcerer so that they have the same amount of spells as like the Aberrant or the Clockwork Sorcerer that they updated later. And I was like, oh, I don't even know that. Like, I just wanted flame spells. And so I took <laughs> yeah, um, And it was just kind of one of those funny things where I'm like, yeah, I just I just took a bunch of flame spells because that's what I 
like, I don't know. And so mm-hmm. I like themed stuff like this. And so I look at this and I'm like, oh, that's really cool. That's like awesome themed. But I'm sure, yeah, if you're if you're the kind of person where you're like, well, I, I wouldn't want to play that flame sorcerer that Jordan built because I know that I'm missing 15 spells. Like, think about mm-hmm. how much cooler I could be with 15 spells. And 15 is a lot. That's a lot of extra magic that you could be throwing around because we don't have, you know, like, like I'm thinking about uh, AD&D rules and earlier where it's like a wizard would slot in, like, here are my mm-hmm. three castings of mage armor for the day. <laughs> and now it's like, if I could just have this, you know, vast array of magic at my fingertips. Yeah. I think we're moving a little bit towards that too, wouldn't you think, just from a game design perspective? Because I always thought a weird dynamic of the class-based system, magic user versus fighters, and you're building a system where your players are going to play, the fighter's abilities never wane, right? There's no countdown clock of you only have three more cleaves, you only have this, this, you know... You're getting your two attacks, you're getting your rolls, you're getting your thing because you have action, you have bonus action, you have reaction. You built your character around that, and it's like consistent turn after turn after turn. Unless a creature stops you, you're doing these things. But the the magic users, the sorcerers, the warlocks, they're looking at it like there goes my fifth level spell. Yeah, okay, I'm out of those. Now I'm at fourth level spells. Oh no, I'm almost out of those. Now I'm down to just cantrips and maybe some first levels. Should I save some spells? You know. They have a different dynamic that they're playing. So I I know it's good that players have different dynamics that they're dealing with, but I find it interesting that there's no like countdown clock for the warrior either, or a countdown clock for the thief, or you know, you can only do this so many times till your stamina is out, or you know, you you have just exhausted yourself because you've blown all your big abilities and you've used up all of your energy, just like our you know, big caster kind of people, but yeah, I'm wondering if we'll see a shift because, uh, if you think about it, like the fighter does have superiority dice and then Mm -hmm. those are gone, you know, some, some, yeah, you're right. Not every fighter is like that, but that's a subclass. Um, the bard has bardic inspiration that it can use, but it, it loses those and it has to gain them back. Uh, Mm -hmm. but you're right. If, if the rogue was like, Oh, I have to spend my sneak attack die or something, and he can only do that four backstabs, backstabs and that's Uh it. Uh, You're right, we don't see that. There is a big push, though, lately, to have um, proficiency bonus times a day. And I I wonder Mm. if the one D&D, which we we were talking the other day, let's call one, can we collectively call one D&D D&D five and a half? Because I don't want to call it 5.5, I want to call it five and a half, because I think it's funny. I so, sixth edition, but yeah. So D five and a half or one D D. Uh there I'm wondering if that's what they'll do because that was a that was a problem in A D and D is like, yeah, you're right, the fighter doesn't have these resources that go down, but then at the same time, there's no reason to play a twentieth level fighter over a twentieth level wizard. Like the wizard could do so mm-hmm. many cool, awesome things, and then the fighter would go up and hit something. Yeah. And so yeah. uh with Fourth edition, they tried to make everything like that, and that's why you had uh, you had encounter abilities and daily abilities. Right, um, and so the the fighter would have his daily ability that did a big sword slash that he could only use once. Then at the same time, the wizard had his daily ability of doing a fireball that he could only do once. Uh, and I don't know. I I often think. There's a there's a reason where people are like I want this to be balanced and I see that reason, but 
But then I, I always look at it. I'm like, but when we give you ballots, I don't think you like it anymore. Well, Does yeah. Th- well, then what like, happens is you get it, but then you're like, well, well now, now we're I just all feel the same. Like them. Well, now yeah. I'm not special. And so, exactly. right. so what do so you I'm want? Like, I don't think you want it to be that way. I want to be special, Jordan, and I want to be balanced. Give me that I, game right now. You see the same problem <laughs> in uh, – I know you've been playing a lot of World of Warcraft. Oh, yeah. And uh, the the forums for World of Warcraft where it's like, why can't rogues do this? And, and it's yeah. like, it's because you like playing that and you want to feel powerful. But if we literally made everybody the same, then you would be a upset that, that you're not special, you know? And comes on and say, why, yeah, why can they do my ability? That's and so my, it's why kind can of they like, backstab? Yeah. If you want to play a fighter, we got to think about what what do you like about being a fighter? And it sounds like you're like, well, I want to have these fighter slots that i can do cool things about. and it's like well then just play a, a hexblade warlock like you'll have more right. fun you know so yeah. i i know actually I, don't know. I think a little imbalance is important in order to make the game yeah. interesting i'm coming so. at it from the different angle of i feel bad for the magic users because i think it would be cool if you got to use your signature abilities as much as the signature barbarian got to use their signature abilities in in the the fighters and stuff but but he can only there's rage that weird like three thing. times. I don't know. Yeah, so. there's that weird thing of it's it's a couple more that you have to get deeper because it's not a simple question too, right? It's the idea of um, burst damage versus sustained damage in a fight. It's the difference between how long do fights last. If fights were lasting for an hour, everybody's exhausted and you know everybody's used up all their stuff. But if fights only last four rounds, mm. things are very different because you're talking about you know what each one six seconds so we're talking about 24 seconds of you know stuff has happened and this weird kind of thing and that makes sense and then your how many rests do you get to and when do we want to rest and the reason i th- was thinking about it because you said that comment of well maybe we'll wait four lunar cycles and then we'll go I, let's rest now for four lunar cycles yeah and then my big spell comes out and i'm ready to go well if this is a life or death situation you might actually do that. You might make your plan based on we're only we're going to do this in a month because that's when we can do this thing that's going to give us the most possibility of succeeding because we could die in this thing. But yeah. as a game, we just want to play tonight, right? We don't, we don't want to wait for for that kind no, of thing. No, and so. uh, you know, everything everything yeah. has its place, that I guess is what you're of, saying. Um, yeah. I do want to point out that uh Bill Roundy said that the the lunar sorcerer can change the phase they don't have to track the calendar so but that being said i want to go back to what you were saying where it's like oh i want to wait till the moon is right in order for this attack um i played in a game where we used ley lines and so Mm -hmm. it was like i want to pull the monster or the big bad guy i want to lure him over this like magical ground because i will be doing 10 times more damage or something um and same thing, it made me think of uh, Avatar The Last Airbender, where mm-hmm. there's like a meteor coming, you know, spoilers or something. And so all the <laughs> all the the um, Fire Nation people that have firebending are like amped to 11. And mm-hmm. that is when they have chosen to like We're march forth and attack because <laughs> yeah. they are at an advantage. And so I, I thought that was really cool too. So having those things in your world like the eclipse mm-hmm. that only happens every so often and then having players use it to their advantage i'm all about that like i think that's really cool yeah. but you're right i wouldn't want casual play where they're like okay well we need to make you know 10 every gotta, plan gotta wait 10 same. things and so i can do yeah. my cool thing that's probably yeah. not as fun so, very interesting 
I think if I were to play in in Dragonlance, uh, Lunar Dragon, just because the name of it, Lunar Dragon yeah. Sorcerer, just sounds cool. I would maybe try it out. It's a cool sorcerer class. Um, or the Knights of Solonia. I mean, that makes sense because I like to do that medieval knight char- type character. So, so I think I would play that. Yeah. So let's talk about the Knights of Sol- Solamia. Um, we, we talked about it that they, the Knights of Salamia and the Mages of High Sorcery were the two uh, factions that were created during the like War of the Lands War of or the helped, Lands. helped fight in it during the Cataclysm, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, and again, my Dragonlance lore is, is spotty at best. Mine's but super weak, yeah. It looks like any, like I could join the Knights as any class really because it's, it's feat based. So mm-hmm. you you take this feat and then you are part a, of the knights and then that feat kind yeah, of levels order, up with you. Order yeah. of the crown, order of the rose, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, knights of the crown, knights of the sword, knights of the or rose. Knights, yeah, and then based on that, it's like okay, like uh, one of them, knights of the rose, follow the gall, the god Paladine, and mm-hmm. knights of the sword are courageous and heroic. Uh, and yeah. I don't, I don't think they we said have more a lot like, of information on what it gives you. Maybe the terms were more like the. The ones that were martial, the ones that were more about fighting and on the front line and, and that kind of thing would mm-hmm. be your Knights of the Sword. But there are other ones that were more about leadership or more about yeah. the piety of, you know, and, and worshiping of the gods. And that would be the other ones. So that's how it does lend itself to say, well, if I am a cleric, but yet I'm in this knight order, that makes sense because they their knights aren't just knights that are, you know, we have a sword, we have this or that. It's based on these ones are fighting ones, these ones are command ones, these yeah. ones are and the know, feats kind of support that healing and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. Ones. yeah. What I thought was interesting about it, and I don't know the lore behind it that much, but apparently what's happened at the very end of the war, when this thing's about to kick off or at the end, the knights fail to stop the big bad guy. And everybody so where this timeline picks up for this book is that these people were super courageous heroes during the whole War of the Lance, but now have this reputation of they didn't get it finished. They didn't get it done. So they don't, they, lots of people actually don't like them as we go into where this campaign's kicking mm. off, that they failed. They, they weren't able to do the thing that they needed to do in some way. So you're kind of going into, basically, if you play that, something that has a drawback as far as the the community or the factions in the world that you're living in um have so it's kind of, i think it's kind of like if you were playing zentarum in uh in forgotten realms in a way because zentarum has this iconic thing if somebody knows you're part of zentarum they they automatically put on you oh you're conniving you're you know there's you're a relationship double yeah, dealing yeah. Uh, i may not be able to trust you and no matter if they're doing things for good in the end, it's their methods that lots of people have a you know have a problem with in the Zentarum. Um, or even, you know, the Harpers. If the Harpers were great at one point, but then they failed at something massive and big, and now everybody's like, ah, oh, who cares about the Harpers? Because they, they, they weren't there when we really needed yeah. them at the end type thing, you know? So it's like, that sounds to me like an interesting character arc to go through. If you're, if you're Dungeon Master and you are kind of in sync with, exploring a little bit of that you know not not overtaking the whole campaign or anything but just having little areas where that can be explored a little bit i, th- I would find interesting yeah from a character's um, perspective and then the mages of high sorcery have the three factions as well only it's kind of it's very um 
like law neutrality chaos is what it felt like but the the white yeah. robes are you're trying to make the world a better place it's, and they talk the, about it's white blue and red white red and black red, white and black. i thought there was those are the three moons so white robes they're like this would be good for celestial warlocks divine soul sorcerers good aligned wizards and then red robe Lawful. is uh you're you're neutral and you're trying to just like you're you're studying magic for the sake of personal power um and they don't really recommend like <laughs> letting a, people a, play the black mage. No, no, well they don't recommend <laughs> any classes for the red robe so it's kind of like i guess you could oh. just play anything and then Order of the Black Robes is like you're you have a thirst for power and a lack of morals, and it's like this would be like um, great old one warlocks, undying war warlocks, necromantic wizards, and stuff like that. Um, but to, going back to what you said, you know the red robes of the Mage of High Sorcery, like you wear red as you walk around, so people look at you and they're like, oh, mm -hmm. you know, we we've talked about this with like the Wizards of Fae that wear mm -hmm. red and have shaved heads they do that specifically so they will be recognized yes because there's a there's yeah, a, yeah. Um, have a rap. Yeah. an uh, a pre preconceived notion of like how powerful and scary you are and yeah. so you walk around and like oh oh my gosh you know it's mm -hmm. it's it's built you're using a stereotype to your advantage right yeah, yeah yeah you're building a stereotype to use it for a a reason <laughs> yeah and i think with your example with the um the zentarum that's similar like if you yeah. want to be known as a zentarum you're doing it intentionally so that mm -hmm. people will fear you and what have you so uh yeah. it's kind of interesting uh i think it's cool um, we'll see, but kind of goes back to what I, uh, about the piety system. So I was thinking about this this morning. We have Dragonlance, and if we want to keep it isolated as not power creep, mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of these abilities could be used in a different, a, a different word other than feat. Because the minute you say that it's a feat, I think a lot of people will look at it and be like, oh, that's a feat I can take. But nobody looks at like, oh, that's a piety I can take, or I'm going to do this, or I'm going to follow that that piety. Well, no, no, that's a Theros thing. And they're like, oh, okay, cool. And we're playing here. But now it's like, well, I'm going to take this feat. And they're like, ah. Oh. And they did the same thing with Strixhaven, where I'm like, maybe yeah. you should have called it not a feat. Like, we should have called it something else. Uh, and this goes back to, I've been playing a lot of Magic the Gathering. And <laughs> Magic does this all the time, where you have two very similar things, like... I'm going to, I can't think of what off the top of my head. Like, I'm going to convive and I'm going to do this or whatever. And it's all about, mm -hmm. like, drawing a card or something. But they have different names, so they interact differently mechanically. And you can't do certain things with, you know, whatever. And so when a card specifically says this, it doesn't mean this. And mm -hmm. looking at D&D, uh, &D, and I keep going back to that piety system, the piety system was very overpowered. Like you got all kinds of magic spells, you got all kinds of like advantages and and things, extra hit points, like God's power mm -hmm. channeling through you. Um, but we never once called that power creep because it felt isolated to that setting. And yet with Dragonlance, we're not keeping it isolated to the setting. I don't know. Thoughts. <laughs> yeah. No. I think you're is that right. good and or I bad, or is it good to have it like all options are open? Yeah, yeah. I think it could be. I think you're right. There's a terminology thing there that invites more maybe argument or discussion because the way they're viewing it and not when really the two things are the same. They're both apples. Yeah. But you're calling your an apple and I'm calling mine an orange when really they're actually both apples. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I think I think you're right in that. And I think 
I, I don't know, because if you do feed it does have that connotation in D D to be a specific thing. So maybe they should get away from that word because other you know, keywords was another way um games have done this kind of stuff. You you have a keyword that lets you do something and that means a specific thing. Um I know Pathfinder has a little bit of that too, but they have their big feat list also. Well and you're taking feats, lots of feats. I think in feats that. are Nobody's different in that power. Like Pathfinder, you're you are supposed to take feats. Yeah, and I think we're moving towards that. We are. I think we're moving more towards a Pathfinder almost version of that. Not that they coined it or anything, but just that that's what it is now. And I'm not sure I'm hearing the same thing on the Pathfinder communities about oh power creep from all these feats that are coming out and all these books and the you know books of the dead. Look at all these feats that came out. Now there's this huge power creep. You know they're not looking at it that way. Whereas for some reason you are correct. I believe that. The Dungeons and Dragons community, vocal community on Twitter and wherever, they're looking at it that way for some. And reason. I will, I will also say, I am in the boat that I, I do think it is. Like if I took a, a level one or a, a 2014 PHB, uh, barbarian versus whatever other class in 2022, mm-hmm. like yeah, you're gonna be underpowered, now. you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, and underpowered isn't, I don't think, right. I could say you could compare differently. But you have no idea what power you are to the campaign that your dungeon master is running. You may be underpowered. You might be overpowered. It depends what the dungeon master is doing with the campaign. What yeah. are they throwing at you? What bonuses are they adding to things? How are they deciding their CR creature table stuff? Because nobody really uses the way it is in the book. Everybody has to have their own way of coming up with it because it just doesn't seem to fit that party so I don't even think you could say that because that, that's the other thing that's so disingenuous about the argument is that everybody's campaign is so different. Your world would be so different than mine. And maybe there's a character that if I put it in your campaign or the rotted seven parts, people go, oh, my God, look how powerful that is. But then they came over and played in my, you know, Seeking Ravnica and they'd be like super underpowered and not working right or something just because of the way the campaign is running and the things we do in those campaigns doesn't align to make you more or less powerful. So I, mm. it's a weird thing to say we're powered or we're balanced or we're underpowered when we don't even know the play field that we're on because the play field is never the same. It's not a soccer game. All the posts are the same. The length of the field is the same. The rules are the same. It's not like that at all. Everything's different and everything can change no matter where you're playing. Yeah, for sure. That's a weird thing. Yeah, I don't know. Thing to I be d- to throw your, you know, build your hill on. Like I'm going to die on this hill. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why? <laughs> yeah. So I don't. I guess that was my big point. Is like, yeah. If if we're shifting to playing in specific settings, and and let's say Dragonlance is a setting that they, you are supposed to be supercharged. You know, sure. like you are a hero among heroes. But then mm-hmm. uh, you're going to play. I don't know. I always bring up Dark Sun, where it's like you're <laughs> struggling to get by. Yeah, you're um, a dirt farmer. I'm not necessarily going to take uh, Dragon Lance mechanics to make my Dark Sun campaign feel more Dark Sun, you know? Or right. or I'll use Ra- Ravenloft. Like I'm not going to use Dragon Lance mechanics to make my Ravenloft characters just super because that does that eliminates the dread that I'm trying to do. So yeah. why don't we use keywords that really tie it to a setting? Uh, which is something that we could think of in the future. I don't know. Who knows? Uh, and mm-hmm. maybe Wizards is thinking about that right now. I don't know. But I, I like that idea. Like, give players more stuff to do, but maybe don't make it so broad that it overlaps with other settings. Who knows? 
So. But I guess with the introduction of Spelljammer, it is possible that my person jumps on a spell jamming ship and goes to the planet Kryn. Yeah. <laughs> it's really my Forgotten Realms, you know, Well, super and then you land monster. and you take the test to be a knight and you yeah. get the power. I don't know. <laughs> like, that's an adventure, though. Yeah. That's cool. That's yeah, not we've like... We've tied that world together. That If that's your backstory, we're like, yeah, I'm level two, but I traveled from Forgotten Realms to Kryn and I took this and I became the hero there and then I flew back and I've got this back. But then I, then I went to Theros through yeah, yeah. spell jamming. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, I don't know. Um, it's interesting, though, and I was even thinking, like, like, we have the boon system, like, epic boons. Like, you could have made this Dragonlance using that. Like, at level one, you get this boon for being part of the knight. And then it's not tied to the word feat. Yeah. But I agree with you. I think uh, D&D 5.5, 5e, is shifting to um, specifically a feat-based kind of feet options. Heavier. yeah. Where we're going to have more options, and one D&D is going to have more feats and things like that. And so this is the... Uh, testing jumping off point, you know? And flavored feats, right? Yes. And less generic, trying to make it fit for all. It's more of these flavored, it's specific to some type of origin or place or training or thing you've done or group you've joined type thing. And then here's why and what it does. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think that's the, where we're headed for sure. Yeah. Which is kind of cool because it's always weird when you hit level four and you're like, I'm just really good at sneaking now. And it's like, but yeah. how did you get, you know? <laughs> yeah, so. it was yesterday you weren't. <laughs> yeah, <what? laughs> yeah, how'd that work? Um, maybe what it really should be, they should just do a better job of saying all of these things, all of the books are optional rules, right? Because that is true. Any book that's extra from the first three are optional rules. And maybe the other part of that should be, and all optional rules tend to be more powerful. So if you're adding these things to your games, you are intentionally adding power to your games and you've accepted that contract of adding power to your games because you know adding these optional things are powerful. We're not creating books of underpowered options, right? Nobody's creating, nobody's buying that book. Nobody's creating a book. Everything they put out that's an optional rule is going to be more powerful than the base, I think. Maybe that's where we got to start the conversation from. We can't solve everyone's problems, Lucian. But we're going to try but, one day at a yeah. time, one show but at a time. No, we <laughs> can talk about how to run one-shots for Halloween. We can um, do that. So Halloween is upon us. This was a good good question. Just like, how do you how do you run one-shots for Halloween? And uh, I usually take a Ravenloft approach where whatever mm-hmm. we're doing, it's like, oh, we got to do like a Halloween episode. And it's like, you guys mysteriously walk through a veil or you find a haunted house or something, and then I'll run some kind of adventure there um and with that in mind i'm curious how your mist game did because was you said you rolled up new characters for that yeah yeah so it was a one shot they knew it was was a one shot um and i kind of told them just that you know i wanted them to create characters that just had a couple of levels but they were a type of and this is how i kind of tried to lead it up because i'm in a Halloween game, I'm trying to build some type of mystery, mm-hmm. some type of atmosphere. Because I think a Halloween game, what you're really saying is, how do I build an atmospheric game, right? How do I get a little scariness? Or how do I get a little tension? How do I get a little of that suspense in my games? And so what I tried to do to set it up was say, you know, you are you have a couple of levels in whatever classes you guys have picked. But you've mostly stayed around this town. You haven't really 
ventured far. This is the area you've lived in all your lives. You know each other. You know the townspeople. You've adventured to a few places here or there. That's how you've got your levels. You, you know, you're making some gold or whatever here. But that's it. You're not like world travelers. You're not, you know, globe trotting super wizards or anything like that. And then that's how we're going to start, you know, this session. And then so what I wanted to do is, one, try to give them a tie to the community I was going to mess with a little bit and and make them or give them a reason that they would care. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you're, you're trying to overcome a couple of things. One, all of us have watched a million Halloween movies, so we're all ready for our dungeon master to throw something at us. We're like, oh, I saw that coming. <clears throat> and two, how do we care about something if it's not a one-shot, right? Because a lot of times people might play a little bit differently than they would in their main campaign because they know, ah, oh, it's just a one-off, so I'll just yeah, kind of be Yeah, they don't take it as seriously. Be, so. I won't make real decisions, and I don't want it to be too heavy one way or the other. But I'm trying to add an atmosphere. How do I try to add spookiness? How do I try to add suspense so that they don't quite get it? They know something's going to happen, but they don't know when and how. So I tried to set up that. And then I messed with the rules of physics a little bit as they knew it. So that was the other thing that allowed me to put the mystery in the game. Because all of a sudden, one thing that makes very spooky D&D games is when their vision is brought down to say only about 10 feet out. If mm-hmm. you if that just happens and there's nothing they can do, no no tremor senses working, no dark vision, no holding my torch up mattered. This mist covered everything, couldn't be blown away, couldn't be gotten rid of and you could only see about 10 feet. But things are happening in the distance and things are happening around you and you can hear things are happening and spooky sounds and screams and you're trying to figure out what to do and you can't quite recognize things as you go. That's how I tried to play around a little bit with my game. You can't do that in all of them. You have to come up with different reasons for different ones. But it was a... I tried to do two things. Add suspense and mystery to the game. Add tension and then play around with atmospherics and the the physics of what's going on so that they had a different experience than their normal adventuring experience. Because all of a sudden, all your tactics and plans that you've been using throughout all your campaign, even if they had used characters they'd had for you know a year in a campaign, if all of a sudden your vision's down to 10 feet or you know this thing is you're underwater and this makes you do a certain thing that really messes with their their dynamics of it makes them think you know makes yeah. them come up with different plans and different ways to play so i i like that a lot too and for one shots especially if your players are familiar with D 5e um i can't find it i was searching frantically while lucian was doing it but i know that um on the dm's guild somebody made a game uh a horror Halloween kind of one shot, but the player characters were commoners. So he took the monster, like (laughs) basic human stat block and then put it in there. And it's kind of a fun thing because you're very weak, but you, but your players will understand that I roll a D 20 and I add my strength, which is minus one. And you're like, wait, what? (laughs) So uh, if you want to do a one shot like that, where they understand I think you could do a basic haunted house and it's like, mm-hmm. my weapon doesn't hurt this sword, this thing. And they have to like run through the house to find like a silver fork or something to attack <laughs> the ghost or the vampire. Um, that could be a lot of fun because uh, your players will, f- will understand the mechanics, but they will be frightened at how underpowered they are for yeah. whatever 
kind of like basic situation they're getting into. It might actually make them like really enjoy the idea of uh, their powered characters later on, like their regular D and D characters. Cause they're like, Oh man, we couldn't even heal, you know, like that's kind of <laughs> spooky. And I've, I've talked about this before. I really need to find it. Cause I thought it was a cool idea of using the OGL to be like, you're going to play, basically you're going to play monsters, but these monsters are, you know, just regular humans. And I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, because you can get stat blocks of just people. Like, yeah, that's the thing. Of different and that's stuff. what it was. Yeah. Like, you're, yeah. you're just going to play this person. And I was like, oh, that's kind of fun. So for Halloween one-shots, I do it two ways. Like, usually one-shots, I do a different system. Because if I'm mm -hmm. going to play a one-shot, I want to play a different system. But for Halloween in the past, I uh, during my campaign, I've done things like where they stumbled upon... Um, I, I try to make it funny most of my games, but also Halloween themed. So there was one year where my players stumbled upon a village where as the sun was going down, they were throw the people in houses were throwing all the kids out into the street. And they're like, why are they doing that? And then when the sun finally went down, all the kids turned into monsters and the players were just like, do we attack these monsters? I'm like, they were kids. And so they were like, I don't know what to do. And that was another funny thing or interesting in my because it wasn't like, oh, I see a bad guy, I have to defeat it. They needed to figure out what was causing this to happen. And it turned out that it was a giant pumpkin monster and the pumpkin pouch out back that was ch magically <laughs> changing all the kids at night. And so we had, we had trick-or-treating in the sense that the monsters were knocking on the door trying to get into the house. And we had costumes, which were the kids changing into monsters. And then when they defeated the giant pumpkin, uh, magic candy shot everywhere, kind of like a pinata. And then I had a random table of what the magic candy did, which would give them, you know, they could hold on to that magic item. And then if they ate it, they would get like advantage for a minute or something like that. And it was kind of fun. Um, I've also done where you've like, like been washed away into a, uh, another world. And it's yeah. kind of like, Oh, what's happening here. And that was a similar one where they had to figure out world. what it was. And I used stock, monsters so there was like the frankenstein house up the hill there was like the vampire house down there there was the mummy house over there and your players can kind of choose like oh are we like in a weird halloween town kind of a thing that game was really fun because i ended up killing one of my players and then i handed him the this is dm nathan i killed nathan's character <laughs> and then i handed him a ghost monster stat block and he got to play as a ghost for the rest of the game and he even possessed another monster and got to play that monster. So it can really open up new ideas where you're like, oh, I didn't like I didn't know I could do this, you know. And so mm -hmm. and then that one was so tropey and fun. But part of me likes that. I think it's, you know, a lot of people are like, I want to go fight Dracula. Let's do it. Like, I want to go fight the Wolfman in the forest. And mm -hmm. it's uh, it's kind of fun. They know what what's happening. But like you were saying, like we watch horror movies kind of like you know what's going to happen you know you're going to get a jump scare and part mm -hmm. of the fun is knowing like i'm not actually trying to scare anyone at my table usually right. we're just ha trying to have a fun time yeah. um but for for yeah you should do monster squad the game where Tech you game. have the wolfman dracula frankenstein's monster they all like come out to attack <laughs> or something that would be so fun. one of my favorite book series is monster hunters internationals and it really is all about all the classic monsters that you would think of and that people are out there having to deal with them i i would think also one other uh tip 
dive into this is a great time to dive into the undead portion of oh yeah the monster manuals and all the books that are out there because it's interesting to see what ghosts and ghasts and incorporeal creatures can do what can the ghouls and the zombies and the thing you know where you're really exploring the wide range gambit of and this look type at third of vampire party or a damp here yeah. or a this or a that and there's all these undead things out there that you can play around with that they might not know or have got to play against um in um ravnica my group ran into a ghost at one point and it possessed a player and the player started attacking the party and that became a whole a whole thing you know and i let the player just do all that and just you know go attack your party you know like here you go you're a ghost now attack your party and just let them go crazy you know until they could get the ghost out and then if you do enough damage it it would eject the ghost out of the body and it would do its thing and would try to get into somebody else so it was like the it was trying to constantly get back into something until they could finally contain it, corral it, and to, you know destroy it. That could be a really fun kind of gambit too. So I think lean into a lot of those undead resources that you have for different types of skeletons and zombies and ghosts and ghasts and burning skulls and liches and I mean there's it's there's so many different types of things that are undead that it's cool an undead troll. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, yeah. I just had a great idea. So, you start out kids on bikes. Ooh, I like your it. Your kids. We're in the eighties. We're playing kids on bikes. It's the eighties. Your your players are playing kids. They go to the movies to watch a horror movie. Makes sense. Then you take their character sheets away and you give them the character sheets of the people in the movie. <laughs> and then they play against the monsters. But when they find the monsters, the monsters jump out of the movie. And then you have to go back to kids on bikes. And so they have the knowledge of what they did against the monsters earlier, but now they're like severely underpowered. Like, wait, what? <laughs> that could be a lot of fun. I, like I don't know. It. There's lots of cool Halloween ideas. Yeah, I think you're, it, you're right. It starts off the, I, like, you. Halloween is the perfect, uh, let's have a themed game. Oh, and I always feel like it starts off like that. Let's do a Halloween one. And then you're like, well, let's do a let's do a Thanksgiving one and let's do a Christmas one and stuff. So, and then I like to do those DCC Christmas one shots. Those are really fun too. Hey guys, you're all on a bus and you're passing a sign on the right and it says crystal Lake. Welcome to the, yeah, exactly. Oh, I would love it. Hilarious. That would be so fun. (laughs) No. Hey, you guys are on Elm street. Yeah. It's weird. This is guys getting sleepy. No, I like it a lot. So I think that's a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, I as far as games, I played my uh, DCC game in Hot Springs Island, and our players are having a great time. Uh, it makes me so happy that they just like love that system, that game. They're having so much <laughs> fun with it. Um, I'm getting to run DCC much more than before, and I'm learning new things that I didn't think about. Like we had one player who is the thief. And she wanted to pick a lock, but she failed. And another player was like, well, I can I do it? And I'm like, uh, I mean, I don't want to stop you, but like, you're not good at this. So you can try it with a D10 instead of a D20. And then all of a sudden he's like, oh. And just saying that made them be like, I guess I'm not good at this, you know? Yeah, Rather than no. like a, a 20 succeeds all the time kind of a thing. Like yeah. in, in a weird way, he could potentially like pick the lock if it's, uh, if it's a really low Get DC, yeah. but he's never going to pick it if it's a DC 17, you know? Mm-hmm. And I thought that was kind of a fun. So using the dice chain has been interesting to incorporate that more into uh, my game. Having lots of fun with that. Um, we're having loads of fun with the 
Mighty Deeds mechanic. Now, when you've played DCC, did you play the Mighty Deeds mechanic? Or So mm -hmm. warriors have something called a Mighty Deed where when they attack, they roll like a D4. And then if that D4 lands on a 4, you get to do something cool. And so usually it's like, I want to trip the monster and knock him prone, or I want to like throw dust in his mm -hmm. eye and make him blind for a round, or, or even like, I want to shove him out of the way. It's kind of all of that fun stuff you can do as a fighter, but it's so generic that it's like, well, you can, whatever you think of, if you hit mm -hmm. that four, you can do it, but I need to know ahead of time what you're trying to do. Like, are you trying to disarm the guy? Are you trying to do this? Are you trying to pull your friend to safety? And my, I have two warriors, and they've been very creative in, like, well, uh, my friend's grappled. I want to, like, stab him and have him, like, drop my friend. And I'm like, that's great. If you roll this on your deed die, I will let mm -hmm. that happen. And then we know that it's like, oh, okay. So he not only has to hit the monster, he has to get that four on the deed die. And it's been mm -hmm. a lot of fun. And I think that's a really great mechanic that 5e does not have yet if you look at like the fighter with the superiority dice they're trying to emulate that but make it way more complicated <laughs> and i look at this and i'm just like i don't know you could have just been an easy deed die to be like whatever but it in a way it works for dcc because it's uh it wouldn't work for 5e because 5e is not that simple um uh, by design it wants to be more complex whereas this is kind of like yeah 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 Numenera has that too with its conditions because once if you roll a certain way, you're able to add a condition onto something or like a trip yeah. or a, a, a one round stun kind of thing. Yeah. On top of you get some extra damage or you get some extra whatever, and so yeah, I always like that idea. It's that um, fail, you know, when you're doing those two um, d six games, the Powered by the Apocalypse. Yeah. You'll run a lot of that kind of stuff too with how well are you. Uh, succeeding how well are you failing type thing story story driven success story driven you know failure type thing it's been that's cool. it's been really fun and and i mean we don't we don't have poisons yet but i was just thinking mm. like i if i was playing this i'd be like oh i want to like pour poison on my blade i'm like well you'll do an extra five damage if you hit your deed die kind of a thing mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. or like i'll give him the poison condition if you hit your deed die uh and it, it just makes everything so much simpler from my end because they usually want to do crazy things. And then I'm like, well, let's see if you can do it with the D die, you know? Um, mm -hmm. And then with other players, I usually say, like, like if you want to do something crazy and acrobatic like that, it's either going to be two checks or I need you to spend some luck or something to make it happen. And so right. for the thief, Bendies. that's really cool because the thief's luck generates back. So the thief is like, oh, I'll do this and this and for extra damage and extra other stuff. It's kind of fun. Have you really compared like your difference of because you've ran Hot Springs Island as a 5e game? Yeah. And now you're running off Hot Springs Island as a DCC game. Can you compare them because it's two different systems, but you're using the same island? Or is Hot Springs Island not a good way to compare because you could run two 5e games in hot springs island they could be very different and very yeah not the same um i think i i have been comparing them which is kind of one of the reasons i wanted to run hot springs island again a i love mm -hmm. it but i think it's uh and i would i think it works better for dungeon crawl classics simply because um with 5e my players were like oh 
monsters to fight and they'd run in and fight them and it took them a little bit one character death it took them a while to realize maybe we don't fight everything everything you know? we see yeah. um whereas in dcc they've been from the very beginning they're kind of like i've only got 12 hit points like what are we doing here guys mm-hmm. and so a lot of times they try to avoid attacks they try to talk to people they're actually getting more of the story i think because they're mm-hmm. they're in exploring and investigating um, and that's not players being different. I think the the 5e just encourages you to play a different way, you know? Yeah, if you give me a so. cleave ability, I'm looking for things to cleave. Exactly, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you uh, gave me a fireball. I want to fireball something, Jordan. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I don't, yeah, so we're, I don't know. We're just having a really good time. So we're going to play again on November 6th. We're doing it every two weeks, I think. Um, it'll be It'll be fun. So, uh, and it's just been really fun to play Dungeon Crawl Classics. And then speaking of Dungeon Crawl Classics, I have a couple Kickstarters coming in. So, uh, mm. the, uh, the something of the Devil Lich, which is like a really difficult dungeon that they had back in the day. I got a 5e version and a DCC version coming in the mail. Um, nice. DCC 100 is coming in the mail soon. And uh, DCC, The Dying Earth, is coming in the mail soon. So I'll be lots... this Around Christmas, I think I'll have lots of stuff that I want to run. So. It's funny you're buying lots of those, because I keep buying lots of 5e stuff. Like stuff well, those that all wouldn't normally be like 5e, but yeah, yeah, ago, but yeah, they're yeah. coming in. So. Like, that's what I'm backing. Like, oh, I want to do this Secret World. It's a 5e version of the Secret World. Oh, I want to do this uh, Everyday Heroes. It's a 5e version of it, yeah. you know, or whatever it might be. I was like, I'm leaning towards more... I want to use the 5e rule set, but I'm using it for things that it wasn't necessarily designed for. But I think fun. just because it's easy, 5e is just ingrained in my head. I know I can pick a game up immediately without yes. a lot of prep. Whereas when you're learning other systems, I'm still reading through Pathfinder. I'm still reading through some other systems. It takes a while to get those in your head down pat, right? So I'm sure Correct. right now you're probably feeling really good about DCC because you're not probably having to look up as much stuff as you may. Exactly. Use. And you, yeah, you have those stumbling blocks, but I, I feel like I could run it so much better now that I have in the past. Like I think back yeah. to some of the live streams we did where I'm like, I don't really know. And now mm-hmm. it's like, oh, and you just, you have to play it. That's the thing. Yeah, and you, you have yeah, those you have stumbling blocks, you know? Yeah. I think the next game I'm really going to focus on is uh, Worlds Without Number. Because I've been rereading some of that, and I have a Kickstarter called The Atlas of the Latter Earth, which is Mm -hmm. by uh, the Kevin something. I forget his name who wrote Worlds Without Number. And this is his, like, campaign setting for Worlds Without Number. And I thought that was really cool. So I kind of want to flip through that and then maybe come up with an adventure. But, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I don't know. Just lots of cool stuff. And then apparently Mothership's going to show up at some point, and I'm going to want to play that and... Uh, and we have the Plangea PDF, but when that physical yeah. book hits, I really want to run a Plangea game. Like, I just saw an so. email for those of you that have backed in that. I think he just put out an interactive character sheet. So if you want to download a character sheet, I think it's a PDF that has for Plangea? does the math or does the stuff on it, has drop downs and stuff to make it easier to do um, wow. character creation, I think. Um, now I'm looking at my Kickstarters, but also Kids on Bike 2nd <laughs> Edition is up yeah. if you guys are interested in that. Um, And then there was another Kickstarter called uh, Home, the Haunted House Map Building RPG. Uh, And this won't be delivered until next year. But it looked like a really fun 
kind of like Alice is Missing, where you play it like once or twice with a group of people, but you build, um, you build a, a haunted house together as you're exploring mm-hmm. it. And what a cool way to maybe, I, I might, I don't know, they're not claiming to do this, but in my mind, I'm like, I want to create a haunted house and then like run other players through it or something. I thought that'd be kind of fun in a different system. Like it might be interesting. So Very cool. I don't know. There's lots of cool stuff out there, guys. Like lots of cool stuff. So much. Yeah. yeah. I Too keep buying much. more I, than I could ever use or I'm going to get than to I, use, It's getting to the point where it's more than I can read. Like I got a couple yeah. of those. I need another bookshelf. Like, <laughs> I need to slow down. Yeah. Um, yeah, Dungeon of the Mad Mage, though, before we take off, what did you do? Yeah, we played. Uh, we're going to change. This was our last Tuesday night. We made a group decision. We're going to move to Thursday night. Um, so we didn't That's play this I past Thursday, games. but we're going to play Thursday. So we're also going to be online with our digital Dungeon Master from Down Under in Australia. Um, we're going to continue to play Dungeon of the Mad Mage. We are having lots of fun moving down i think we're down to like level 13 or 14 right now it's we're getting down to the big big levels and everything is always you know something's it's themed so it's like this really each level is going to be very different and we're still tracking where everything is and our characters have gotten you know pretty powerful at this point so that's that's been fun but we've also been meeting different factions and then like sometimes we side with a faction sometimes we wipe out a faction so it's just like this weird um thing so i just it's going to be interesting to see kind of where this goes how how it's going to end up halster still messes with us throughout the whole thing so it's kind of like you know you can really lean into that um hey there's the tiny inklings that we're thinking about the next campaign though because we know we're starting to get towards the end and I wonder if we're going to get to that point that many of you may have been in before where you know your campaign's almost done and your brains start to kind of check out a little bit and you're like already thinking about, well, what's my next character I want to play? What's the next world we're going to be in? What's yeah. the next cool thing we're going to be doing? Even though I, I still like this game and I, I like my character, mm-hmm. my brain starts moving to what am I going to make next? <laughs> um, I Here's a spoiler secret for you. Uh, sure. I was reading through Great Modron March. The march goes through Hallister's, uh, oh, or the Dungeon it. of the Mad Mage. Yeah, we like, met up with a Modron once. Yeah, so but far. Uh, I was like, how funny would it be if when my players get there, if oh, we have like a, a meetup with your group and my yeah. group? <laughs> that'd be so good. And it's like, wait, what? And yeah, there's like yeah. a brief little, like, I think it's just like a tunnel. Like these two portals is a shortcut for the Modrons, and they go through <laughs> it. And there's a small little adventure in... Uh, dungeon of the mad mage so Very cool. this is Very the 2e cool. version but that dungeon's mm-hmm. been there for a long time i like how modrons show up in a lot of the big adventures just as a small little piece some corner some little item some little thing yeah people just I like them even, They're just fun. I, yeah even in tomb of annihilation i feel like we've we saw something that was modron based at one yeah. point too even when we were there obviously we there was in um the one we've come across which may not be what you're you're thinking of yet for the spoiler piece but there's a Modron that's walking around several columns and there's stone statues everywhere. And if you put something in the center of those statues, whatever was a stone statue turns back from whatever it was. So you realize these aren't stone statues that were created by stone masons. These are things that were turned to stone. Uh-huh. And if you put them there, they come back to life or wherever they were. We had a kick, uh, one of our, um, uh, 
uh, sidekicks came from that, a Kenku. We, there was a Kenku statue, so we moved it in there, and he comes out, and he was an adventurer that's been there forever, lost his parties, you know, didn't know that, you know, they'd been turned to stone type thing, and so he kicked around with us for a while. We were playtesting the kick, um, sidekick rules yeah, yeah. using that. It was really fun. Um, so we did that. But that, there's that Modron, and everybody kept, there was, like, this group of us, like, do we mess with the Modron <laughs> or do we not? You know, it was, like, because you what happens if we move them off course or do we do you want to do that? Do you want to, you know, bring in, you know, some, some chance that you're going to trigger the Modron march or something worse to happen because this Modron's doing this thing, you know, so. For sure. Oh, so fun. Games, games, games galore. <laughs> um, well, that's our show, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for coming out and watching and hanging out with uh, Mr. Lucian and I. Uh, yeah. Uh, have fun. Stay safe on your yeah. Halloween. Have a happy Halloween. Um, and like always, Lucian's streaming now on Thursdays. I'm streaming on Thursdays on YouTube. <laughs> um, and you can always catch us here live on uh, Saturday, Saturday mornings, mornings where we talk about Dungeons & Dragons. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We'll see you guys next week in November.